Welcome to House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you're ready to get your physical, emotional, and spiritual life in order, join us for the next hour as we meet some interesting people who will share stories of success and wisdom that you can apply to your own life. Now, here's Dr. Connie. Welcome to House Calls for the month of July. Hi, hope you're all doing great and getting through the summer. I always start with my honorable mentions for this month, and July is a very special month of remembrance. Uh, July 1st is actually sort of a sad day for me. It's the day that I lost my beloved husband, John, who passed away in Nephi, Utah, about four years ago. Actually, it was four years ago. Also on that date, we lost Nicole Grunfeld, who passed into heaven, and I know her father, Dan, is thinking of her. And my father, Angel Mariano, went to heaven uh, five years ago this month, right before his 94th birthday. So they are forever in my heart and memory. But for the happy times, we have birthdays in the month of July. We have uh, my friend, Alina Pepper, happy birthday. My daughter-in-law, Erin, who has her birthday this month. July 21st is a shared birthday between friends Ray Williams, Dr. Richard Tubb. My Aunt Rita in the Philippines turns 89 this month. At the end of the month is my granddaughter, Addie. Addie's birthday, she turns eight. Valerie Kosmicki in San Diego, she's my favorite sister-in-law. Happy birthday, dear. Other friends here in town are Margaret Perry, Dr. Jerry Evidente, Jeannie Damon, Marjean Weber, Christine Gannon, Chrissy Pacheco, who's our nurse friend who's been on our show, Dr. Asha Devereaux, Joyce Sullivan, Harvey Alpert, Joanne McDowell, and Marsha Meyer, my former neighbor, Lori Adams, uh, my friend Maria Culpin, my friend Jerry Kemp, Vita Rowe, Dr. Daniel Amen in California, Vicki Logan, Warren Adelman, Megan Davis-Lightman, Dr. Todd Hurst, happy birthday. He was on our show talking about our cardiology issues. Psychic Annette Bricka has her birthday this month, and she's been on my show before to talk about what psychics do. Carol Martin in California, Emily Adelman, Conductor Case Scaglione in Paris, happy birthday, Case, and Patty Good. So I always think of how wonderful these people are and how they've added to my life and how they love to listen in our shows. We also have wedding anniversaries for one year. We have Sabrina Devereaux and Peter Wemus, uh, who, whose wedding I presided over a year ago at the Hotel Del Coronado. And my cousins, Angelie and Kevin in San Diego, happy anniversary, guys. So in addition to those happy events, Another great event this month in July, we celebrated our nation's birthday. Happy birthday, America, 247 years, going strong. We pray for our country. We pray for the people here. We pray for our leaders. And so as I think of this month of July, as we celebrate all these wonderful things and the things we do in the summer, getting things done, but also working remote and trying to do all the right things, I was actually getting very stressed because I'm somebody who never gets bored. I always have a ton of to-do things. And I, I do so much that sometimes I think it hurts me, it, it hits me back in reverse. So I look at, well, what's good stress versus bad stress? And I always think, well, maybe this is good stress. But after a while, I get pretty exhausted. And I think, well, I need to just be instead of do. I mean, I think my problem is I've got this long to-do list. And I always think of, I would rather do the want to do versus the have to do. And so that's been my conflict between desire and the obligations that I have to fulfill, or maybe the way I'll put it's between duty and desire. You know, which one do I pick? Well, I'm so duty bound. In fact, I look at what I've done in the last, oh gosh, the last 30 years, and I recall June 1st was my 22nd anniversary from retiring from the Navy, then moving on into private practice. So that's a lot of stuff in one lifetime, but I always continue to learn and, and to feel like I make a difference in some way. But it brings me back to why, why this show? What theme do we have for this show? And I was looking at myself and figuring out, well, gee, if I feel stressed, I look around me at my patients and my friends who are constantly in motion, constantly doing things, never sit, never breathe. I said, you know, we are entrenched in this stressed out environment. So I decided I needed professional help. And I called upon somebody who I know for the last year and a half who has given me so much hope and so much wisdom in her young years. And I really think you, my listeners, would be fascinated and actually helped a lot from our, our current 
guest speaker here on our show. And she's going to help us about what to do about our stressing and how we get distressed and how we de-stress and stress less. So I want to welcome to our show, Dr. Adrian Adler-Neal. Uh, I'll go over her bio. It, she is a third-year psychiatry resident at UT Southwestern in Dallas, Texas. Adrian completed her combined MD-PhD program at Wake Forest School of Medicine, where her doctoral work was focused on examining the biologic and neural mechanisms underlying mindfulness-based pain relief. And I asked her, I go, what does that mean? She says, well, really, I'm a PhD in meditation. I said, woo, that's fascinating. So prior to that, Adrian obtained her undergraduate degree from University of Pennsylvania and a master's of public health from the University of Memphis. So she has amazing credentials. She's currently developing, testing a brief meditation-based intervention for the treatment of depression. And we know that depression is on the rise in our country, even more so after COVID. We have a lot of isolation, a lot of people who are depressed. We have a higher suicide rate. And we see that particularly in our young. As she plans her future in psychiatry, what she envisions and hopes to see is a model of her practice in which she incorporates psychotherapeutic approaches that are novel and new, holistic medicine, coaching, and traditional medicine to help her patients become the best they can be in terms of their mental, mental, physical, and spiritual, emotional health. And I really think there's a lot to be gained from Dr. Adrian's perspective. So welcome. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be here. I wish we were going visual because when you see her, she's drop-dead gorgeous. She used to be an actress. I think we're setting you up to do to do your own TV series. So that's my hope. I'm going to hopefully manifest a television series to come from this. But, you know, I brought up the topic of being stressed out, which some of us, yours truly, live in an atmosphere of stress, and all my friends can tell you that. Can you share the difference with our listeners between the difference between what stress is and mm -hmm. the difference between anxiety? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think this is an extremely important point that you bring up. So I think a, an interesting place to start is why do we have the biological mechanism to be stressed? Why is this something even that we have to handle? So going back, you know, thousands and thousands of years, humans developed a system to get stressed under an acute life-threatening situation. So we see a bear, it's chasing us. What happens? Well, our blood pressure increases, our heart rate increases, our pupils dilate, the blood flow goes to our extremities in preparation to run from this bear or to fight this bear. And we need that biological response. The difference is our ancestors were dealing with brief, acute bouts of stress. We are living in a society where stress is pervasive. It's ongoing. We didn't evolve to be able to handle stressors like a pandemic that goes on for years, planning for your retirement in 30, 40 years and worrying about markets and all of that. Mm -hmm. We simply did not evolve to be able to do that. So, you know, stress, when I see patients who come into the psychiatric clinic and they say, I feel stressed out, my interest is, is this acute stress? Is this you feel anxious in response to an exam you have, maybe if you're younger, or you get an unexpected bill in the mail, or something happens to your house and you know you have to fix it, and you get an acute stress, something that's short, that's time limited, that you're able to control, and that doesn't affect your quality of life. Well, then I see that as a stressor, and I see that your system is probably functioning very well. You should get a little bit stressed. When I start to get concerned is when I see people for whom the stress is not going away. It's becoming daily, pervasive, ongoing. They're unable to live their lives the way they used to be. They're not sleeping. Maybe they're not eating. They're irritable. They're getting you know, annoyed at loved ones. Um, and, and they really just aren't able to relax. This is when I start to think that we're looking at something like a generalized anxiety disorder picture. And of course, there's many other anxiety disorders that I'm screening for. I'm looking for... Are they, are they having recurrent panic attacks? They could have panic disorder. Are they fearful in social situations? They could have a social anxiety disorder, mm -hmm. things like that. So I wanna screen for all of those things to really find out how that stress is affecting their daily functioning. And if it is, then it might be more likely to be a diagnosis of clinical anxiety versus stress. Now, what do you do then? You talked about mindfulness. How does that come into play with this? With, with dealing with anxiety. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think my general approach when somebody comes in with anxiety, really first off is to understand what's the nature of their stressor. 
because there's some things that, you know, mindfulness might not be the best for. So let's say one in four women are victims of intimate partner violence. Let's Mm -hmm. say that that's going on. How can I get them resources? Let's say it's financial strain and they're really at the end of their rope. How can I connect them with social resources? You know, if it's, I always ask about caffeine. (laughs) People Mm -hmm. drink Mm -hmm. eight cups of coffee Mm -hmm. a day and feel irritable and sometimes helping with that or medications that Mm -hmm. can contribute or medical diagnoses. But if I find that all that seems in order and they have a diagnosis of clinical anxiety, then oftentimes what I do is I, um, you know, I start off with just listening with compassion. I think that's something that any practitioner can really do. I think listening with, uh, with just such understanding and such compassion is step one. Then I think really going for psychotherapy is something that can be really effective for people. So things like cognitive behavioral therapy or first-line treatments for anxiety. And cognitive behavioral therapy is the process of of helping understand what behaviors and what actions underlie these anxious emotions that they're having. How can we change the beliefs? How can we change the actions so that people feel less anxiety? Of course, medication comes into the picture. Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors are a first-line treatment for anxiety. But to your point, really, I'm always very, very interested in helping people find integrative medicine options for their anxiety. I find that something that people are extremely interested in. So what does that consist of, the integrative Mm -hmm. parts of it? Yeah. So mind-body therapies like mindfulness, like meditation, yoga, and I'll talk more about mindfulness specifically, but um, diet, exercise, diet is a really big one. You know, the food we consume is the building blocks of our neurochemicals. So without appropriate vitamins and minerals, we're not making the serotonin. We're not making the norepinephrine and the dopamine and all of those hormones that lead to us being really happy and healthy. And then if they're interested in mindfulness, I love to broach this subject. This is really just one of my absolute favorite things. So to get to your question here. So Mindfulness is actually defined by John Kabat-Zinn, who's one of just the, the founders of research on mindfulness. So mindfulness is, de- is defined as awareness that arises through paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally, in the service of self-understanding and wisdom. And I'll say that one more time because I think it can be hard to digest. So mindfulness is awareness that arises through paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally, in the service of self-understanding and wisdom. And to really operationalize this. So really what this means is that when you're walking the dog, you're walking the dog. Mm -hmm. When you're eating with a loved one, you're there present eating with that loved one. You're not being distracted by your phone. You're Mm -hmm. not multitasking Mm -hmm. and doing, right, exactly. One thing at a time, right? Exactly. How often do we find that you walk the dog and then you come back inside and you realize you didn't hear one bird. You remember it. You didn't, you weren't present for the events of your life. Yeah. And the gift of mindfulness is what it's doing is it's giving us the gift of our, of our life experience. Yeah. The Dalai Lama says there's only two days of the year when nothing can be done. One is called yesterday, the other is called tomorrow. It's true. You know, I think of the things we do, and I ask people, I mean, I there are times I'm, I'm guilty of that. I'll drive somewhere, and my mind is doing so many things at once, and I go, you know, I don't even remember the drive. Mm-hmm. You know, you fix, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of things that we have in our life, like social media, mm-hmm. definitely our iPhones are a time suck. They mm-hmm. suck away our time, and mm-hmm. it dis- diverts us where we can't, we, lo- we leave our bodies is what I like to say. You've left your body. You're not in your body or you've been with people you've talked to and they're not there. They're somewhere else. Yes. Yes. So how do you do do you teach them how to meditate? Yeah. So and to your point, that's a very common experience. I think some people live their lives completely out of the moment, just Mm -hmm. in their thoughts. And the thing that's uh, that I think is really important about meditation is that meditation is the training ground that we go to to increase our mindfulness muscle. So you can think of mindfulness as the skill that you're trying to use in your daily life. And meditation is going to the gym to mm-hmm. build that muscle. And so a basic mindfulness meditation that many people engage in is they find a place to sit or lie down comfortably. 
and they direct their focus to the sensations of the breath. So they notice the breath as it moves in through their nostrils, into their lungs, maybe they notice their belly rise and fall, and then they notice the breath move out through their nose. When distracting thoughts or sensations arise, which of course they will, I like to say that our mind creates thoughts like our kidneys create urine, it's just what it does. <laughs> so when distracting thoughts and sensations arise, you notice them, you refrain from judging them, you just let them be what they are, if it's an anxious thought or whatever it might be, you let it be present and you let it pass through your consciousness just as clouds passing through a sky. And then you return your attention to focusing on the sensations of the breath. Over time, what tends to happen is that in your daily life, you notice, you begin to notice that you are not in fact your thoughts. Instead of becoming the stress and anxiety and being ripped out in a current, ripped out yeah. to sea by that thought that comes, yeah. Instead, you say, I notice that I am anxious, because if we notice it, that means we're not it. I'm not that anxiety. There's some separation there. Mm -hmm. And then what slowly starts to happen is that we can choose how to respond. We Versus have a, react. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we have a moment where we can say, I see this anxiety coming in. I see this stressful moment coming in. I can observe it without judging it. I can let it be with what it is, and I can choose to respond and not let my life and myself get ripped out to sea by this anxious thought. And what, what I really find starts to evolve over time, and what psychology tends to find is that the more we de-identify from our thoughts, the more we recognize that we are something more than our thoughts, the more we realize and we come to know that at our center lies a calm, compassionate, curious, open self through which we can live our lives, from which we can live our lives. So my goal is to help people put the control center of their lives into this calm, compassionate, curious, and creative self. We really don't have a lot of creativity when we're being swept out to sea it's by true. our anxiety. It's true, yeah. So my goal is to really help people live from that spot so that they're making more conscious choices in their lives that are in alignment with who they really are beneath their thoughts. So do you peel through all that layers and the, and the defense mechanisms and people throw out there? So you work with them through that, right? Through therapy sessions with I that? do. There's actually an emerging, I'm really glad you brought that up because there's actually a, an emerging psychotherapy that I think just incorporates mindfulness and therapy together so beautifully and it's called internal family systems. Hmm. And the goal with this is to actually use mindfulness to observe the different parts of ourselves that get anxious or get depressed or whatever it might be and to actually form a relationship with those parts of ourself to help heal them because the the fascinating thing is that we actually when we access this calm curious self we have the capacity to heal ourselves and to heal those anxious or fearful parts of ourselves so psychotherapy often uses mindfulness as a tool to do some really deep, wonderful healing work. And when people have the resources, I always try to refer them to something like internal family systems. Or so who cognitive. does that as another psychiatrist or psychologist who specializes in that? Yes, it's a it's a training that you can get as a psychiatrist, a psychologist, or even a, a master social worker. And so you, you can... name those other parts of your psyche, right? Mm -hmm. But then who's the we who does it? I, mean, I always wonder, you know, you have other parts of you that mm -hmm. different voices in your head. Mm -hmm. But who's the center? That's the mm -hmm. right. The one who chooses. That's so, you. Yes, that's the... Which I find fascinating. Which, in, in psychology, we might call this the inner self, the mm -hmm. curious, calm, compassionate self. In spirituality, they might call this the inner divinity. The soul. The soul. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So accessing mindfulness, I think, is a very powerful tool to access our authentic soul that rests beneath all those tides of thoughts that just come yeah. in and out at their own will. It gets so distracting with you because we're bumped... And I wish we were going visual because if you could see Adrian's face, she's got this, this almost cherubic smile. <laughs> she's so joyful. Do you teach people how to? Me do you meditate? How do you? I, you know, I'm jumping to my other questions, but do you meditate? Fine. So I do meditate. What do you do? Yeah. So I do a variety of different types of meditation. One is uh, just the basic mindfulness of just observing those thoughts. Another one, though, is is using psychological principles using the the model of 
I go to that place within myself that's calm and curious and compassionate. And it can take a few minutes to get there because we're all, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we're all human and our, mm-hmm. our minds are off in our thoughts. But as we start to settle in and the dust kind of settles and we go to that space within ourself, I start to notice, oh, there's the anxiety coming up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anxiety, what do you have to teach me? Stress, mm. what are you here to show me? Mm-hmm. And often I start to be able to understand myself on a deeper capacity. Oh, that stress is there because it's reminding me of something that happened 10 years ago mm-hmm. that's not going on right now. Mm-hmm. Thank you, anxiety. Thank you, stress, for showing that to me. Mm-hmm. I can choose from this place how to respond, but I'm not neglecting the anxiety, the stress, or the messages that it's maybe trying to tell me. So that's a very common meditation that I do actually to help. So you do you breathe? Do you mm-hmm. use a mantra? Or are you just focused mm-hmm. on those thoughts? You're focused on those thoughts. I'm focused first on the breath usually to mm-hmm. center myself. And then as I notice maybe an anxious thought come in, I will stay in that non-judgmental, curious, calm space. That's the key is not to get Mm -hmm. sucked in, which Mm -hmm. I don't always succeed in. We are all human. You're human. But the the goal is to stay in that curious, calm, open stance and to notice the anxiety and to learn from it if possible, to hear what it has to teach you. But that's, you know, that's a very dedicated practice. You have to Mm -hmm. make a point of how many minutes a day would you meditate? Mm -hmm. What do you recommend for your your Mm -hmm. patients? Usually I recommend whatever they can do. You know, if it's a minute in between meetings where you can feel your feet on the floor, you can feel your hands on your legs, and you can take a couple deep breaths and you can experience the breath, beautiful, wonderful, start where you are. That's always what I say. If you can do 10 minutes, amazing. 20 minutes, wonderful. 45 minutes, that's what's traditionally done in a lot of studies. 45 minutes? 45 minutes a day. That's pretty intense. That's pretty intense. I would be stressed out just thinking about that. (laughs) I know, I know. I have to say that's not been me. That's not been my practice. Because when I I was in college years ago in in California, my my roommate and I, Rita, we took a transcendental meditation course. Mm. Because uh, Maharishi Yogi was very prominent then with the Beatles, and so we each... I think we paid $75 for a mantra. So I have a mantra that's worth quite a bit now. (laughs) And so we were taught to meditate 20 minutes every morning. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I I still think I should go back to doing that. Mm -hmm. What I try to do is once a day, and maybe it's more prayer than anything, is to deep breathe, center, and focus on a prayer. Mm -hmm. Or some people use the word amen. Yes. Or or just focus on your breath. Because a lot Mm -hmm. of us, you run around. You find that you don't breathe. We're, we're anaerobic. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't consume oxygen. Mm-hmm. We're so stressed out. And so mm-hmm. as I'm looking at the timer, <laughs> dark, it's like we're we're about four minutes into this uh, before we go to a break. So I'm going to do a natural pause here, and we're going to take a deep breath where we we breathe silently while we go to a break here on House Calls with Dr. Connie and Dr. Adrian Adler Neal, and come back in a few minutes, and we'll carry on with our. Talk about stress less through mindfulness on house calls. So stay tuned for more. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought... Which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families. Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano, this is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. 
Dr. Connie Mariano is a groundbreaker. She was the White House physician to three presidents, toured the world on Air Force One, and has had countless amazing experiences. The one thing that life didn't prepare her for was becoming a widow. After losing her beloved husband, John, in a tragic accident, Dr. Connie joined the one million women who are widowed in the United States each year. While her journey as a widow has been one of intense grief and sorrow, it has also been one of extraordinary growth and rebirth. Now, Dr. Connie is sharing what she's learned, joined by her knowledgeable guests to help anyone struggling with this deeply personal and often lonely journey of their own. Tune into The Widow's Walk, Thursdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. Welcome back to House Calls with Dr. Connie and Dr. Adrian Alderneal, who is a third-year psychiatry resident at UT Southwestern. Her specialty is actually has many gifts. She's very talented. She's a wonderful physician, but she's studying really about mindfulness and how to optimize our health. And tell you know one of the things I asked you on her break was why did you choose psychiatry? Mm-hmm. Do you mind sharing with listeners why you chose this field? Absolutely. So when I was looking through different specialties, I, I always wondered in the back of my mind if I would choose psychiatry. But I wanted to give every specialty an option. And I I went through a dermatology phase where I thought I was going to do that. And I was getting all my research in line for that. And working in the dermatology clinic, I loved working with the patients. They're there in their gowns. Their skin is exposed. They have, the skin is very vulnerable. Everyone can see it. Also, stress can lead to a lot of skin conditions. Stress can Mm -hmm. certainly worsen psoriasis, acne, dermatitis, all that. So... I would find myself loving these patient interactions, but I wanted to talk about how they were feeling and I wanted to talk about the stress associated with their conditions. And I couldn't really do that in my five minute encounter. So I I knew for certain it had to be psychiatry. And when I really solidified why for certain I needed to choose psychiatry, it was because in my way of looking at the world in my framework, mental health is the foundation of health and wellness. If we have our mental health, even if part of our physical health is failing, we can still live such robust, authentic, and fulfilling lives. But even if we have extremely healthy physical bodies, if our mental health is not there, we can live lives that are just not fully fulfilling and just not what we would have chosen. And so I knew that I just had to choose a specialty where I would focus on helping people live their highest potential of themselves. I mean, that is really the key for a lot of physicians. More you're beyond that. You're more a healer. And one of the things we share is we want to optimize people's health. And I still do physicals on patients um, three, four times a week. I I have clinic where I line up to see a, a host of my patients. And I would say among the 90 minutes I spend with my patients during their annual exam, about 60 minutes of that is really talking to them. You know, Mm -hmm. the physical exam part I do, I look for different things in their physical blood pressure, pulse, listen to their heart, listen to their lungs. But Mm -hmm. most of the time, in addition to going over the results, the test results is really talking to them. Mm -hmm. And you did, you are very accurate in picking, saying that there are a lot of people who are 
biologically, phenotypically very healthy. I'll say, you know, your labs are great, your mm-hmm. cholesterol is good, you don't have heart disease, you don't have cancer. They go, well, why do I, why am I so miserable? Well, I mean, these are high net worth people who are high achieving. But as somebody said to me the other day, I don't know why I'm still in this life. And that is a sad thing. I mean, what do you, what do, you do with those patients who have mm-hmm. achieved everything? They're entering their 80s. This was one particular patient I had the other day who uh, there was no underlying cause that I could mm-hmm. find physically in his labs and his study, but he just felt miserable, mm-hmm. just miserable. Mm-hmm. What, what do you usually, how do you approach people like that mm. or just unhappy? You know, I think when I see them in the psychiatric clinic, thankfully at that point, they've probably accepted that they do want some level help. of help. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, I, you know, similar to your question about stress earlier and how I kind of initially approached that, um, you know, my first my first step is deep listening, which you're doing as part of your visits all the time. But deeply listening to their story from that non-judgmental stance that applies both internally. We want to not judge ourselves. We want to not judge the person in front of us and the client or patient. And so I really want to hear what their experience has deeply been like for them. I actually find that that can be so transformative. And if we know that everything's okay from a physical health standpoint, then doing a full evaluation to really understand is there grief at the heart of this? Is there depression, anxiety? What's what's clinically driving this? And then creating a really tailored treatment approach for them, depending on their interest. It might be medication. If they're interested, it might not. If they're not, it might be a combination of psychotherapy and, like we were speaking about earlier, integrative medicine techniques, really working to to optimize that diet, that sleep. Sleep is huge <laughs> yeah. for mood. And then something that I always find so important is how do you make meaning in life? Yeah. How, what is it that, how do you view the world and your place in it? And how do you live from that place? Are you engaging with your values on a daily basis? I find that that can be such a buffer against depression and against anxiety as well. And then, you know, are you engaging in things every day that do bring both meaning and then both um, nervous system regulation. If somebody says, I just don't feel good, mm-hmm. are they doing things that help regulate their nervous system daily or things that dysregulate their nervous system? And just really doing a full body, mind, body, spirit approach to helping them heal. That's really, that is my passion and combining that with an element of coaching to really help them figure out again what what they see as their purpose on this earth and helping them fulfill that, even if they're in their 80s, helping them really come to terms with what their life has meant and what it'll mean moving forward. You know, one of the things you hit upon was sleep, because I think there was a recent article out about the importance of sleep in, in terms of the risk for dementia mm-hmm. and Alzheimer's, that the, the patients out there, the people who are the highest risk for Alzheimer's and dementia had very poor sleep and disruptive sleep where you never get REM sleep and you're never restful increases your risk for dementia significantly. Wow. The, the other thing you brought up was the search for meaning. And I see that in a lot of my very successful patients in the last chapter. What's the last chapter? 80 and above. You know, God willing, you can go in your 90s. And I say the goal of longevity of old age, two things. If you can get it, you're lucky. Good brain, no pain. Good brain and no pain. And mm. And what they're seeking is that my life had meaning, Mm -hmm. that it wasn't just, you know, I'm just a speck on the spectrum Mm -hmm. of life, but I really brought something into this world. Mm -hmm. And it's it's tough uh, at times because you have to find something that is of value to them. Mm -hmm. And money doesn't substitute it. You know, something that I see over and over again, money doesn't fill the hole in the soul. It isn't your money. It isn't your fame. It isn't all how many likes you have. It isn't your friends. So I think what you're doing in a lot of ways, the way because I'm rather woo-woo, um, internal medicine, but I'm out there too, mm-hmm. is you fill the hole in the soul. How do you fill that hole that people are, you know, I see it even more after the pandemic, people being isolated by themselves. And then social media, I say, sadly, in a lot of, lots of social media, not, not Voice America, which is great, but other forms <laughs> of social media, uh, people can get very mean. I mean, they pick on you and they bully people. And, and so 
especially young school age girls and their their impressions of themselves. So it's very isolating and and you feel very very sad. I mean, there's a lot of sadness and stress with that. How what do you how do you combat that? How do you work around that? Mm-hmm. I think this is such a vital question, and it's going to be different for every person, but. From my perspective, since mindfulness is is part of this theme, I think using mindfulness as a tool to help understand your thoughts, recognize your thoughts, learn that you are separate from those thoughts, and really learn who that separate person is. Mm -hmm. Learn what is your authentic self? Mm -hmm. What, What is it that you really want to do in this world or you want to be remembered for? Or what is, what is your soul's purpose in this lifetime, basically? Using mindfulness as a tool to help do, to do that inner work and then designing a life that enables you to do that. And even if you're 80 years old, meaning is there's no time frame on meaning and yeah. there's no definition of what's greater meaning or lesser meaning. One person's life changed, mm-hmm. one phone call. I mean, so many things can make a difference to bring that meaning. So I think connecting with who you really are, what you're here to do, designing a life around that, and then, you know, really mitigating the stress. I think that can be just life-giving for people. And working with professionals to help you do this, I think can be so beneficial, whether it's whether it's a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a life coach, a social worker, whoever Mm -hmm. it is to kind of help you Mm -hmm. get your mind around. I I don't feel like I've fulfilled something I'm here to do. How do, how do I, how do I engage in that? I think that can be really helpful. You brought up the phrase true authentic self. And I, I give a story in my memoir about when I got interviewed at the white house and my response symbolized what I spoke up. It was my true authentic self. And I, I spoke to a group of about 2,000 high school kids who wanted to go into medicine a few years back, and a very bright young man came up to me later, and he says, so what is the meaning? How do I know I'm, I'm being true to my, tr- what is my true authentic mm-hmm. self? Mm-hmm. And I took a deep breath, because sometimes spirit whispers, spirit doesn't shout, and the words that came to me out of my mouth were, when you no longer have to pretend. Mm-hmm. That's the person that who you are. You don't mm-hmm. pretend. You don't do it because people expect it or it mm-hmm. feels a stereotype. It's it's who you are. Mm-hmm. It's who you're. Nobody can be you better than you. If I were mm-hmm. filming a movie and I were going to cast somebody to be you, you'd be your best person, <laughs> you know, and, and to validate and to want that. But, you know, I what I find fascinating, what I do, and I continue to practice medicine. There are times I think it's time to retire, but I get called back because I'm always fascinated by people. And I always think my meaning is that I can help somebody out there. But I always think when people say, what is my sole purpose? Why am, am I in this life? You know, I don't think our lives are random. I don't think we're mistakes coming into this world. I think we are each in this life for a reason. And I think the challenge is to, to understand why me? Why am I in this life? What am I meant to impact? And when you find that, you are living your best life. Because what I see you doing is you're helping people live their best life, right? A hundred percent. And you just kind of spoke to something that reminded me of my own life, which is, you know, 10 years ago, I, as we were discussing earlier, 10 years ago, I, um, I decided I really wanted to figure out what I felt like I was doing in this world. And I wanted to define that for myself. I took a long period, I think it was eight months or so, where I was very quiet. I meditated a lot. I read a lot of spiritual and psychological literature And I formulated my way of looking at the world and looking at my place in it and really defining what I felt like I was here to do. And what I've noticed is that the closer my life gets to modeling that and to feeling that way, the happier, the less stressed I am, Mm -hmm. the more in flow, in alignment I feel that I am. And it's become a huge buffer against daily stressors. And of course, they still happen because that's... You're a human being. Exactly. And we have to have coping mechanisms to help with that. But I think there's no quick fix. There's no substitute for defining for yourself what that life purpose is and living it. And then when somebody criticizes you or doesn't like you or judges you, Mm -hmm. it matters a whole lot less. One of the things we brought up, too, is about people taking care of themselves, right? Because, you know, we live in a society now. It's go, 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 work, work, work. 
And it's almost like you get bullied if you took a day off. How can Mm. you take a day off? What's wrong with you? How how selfish of you? What do you mean self? Is not self-love a good thing? You know, what do you think of that when people say, well, you you need to always be working? You know, what's wrong with you? Yes, this is this is one of my uh, one of my soapboxes. My favorite soapboxes is that. We're not, we're not in a culture that validates the need for rest and relaxation and calm. People truly think that they get guilty when they feel like they're not go, go, go and doing. And I think that, you know, you brought me to really one of my key fundamentals of if you're trying to improve stress and anxiety, do you believe you deserve rest? Do you believe you deserve relaxation? Because if you do... If you want to rewire that belief that our culture is trying to tell us, no, you don't deserve this. Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to decide you do, it's going to take some effort. And you might have some paradoxical stress when you take a little bit of time for yourself. Again, noticing that, using the mindfulness to be aware of that and knowing that doesn't mean I'm doing anything wrong. That means this is the conditioning from our society telling me not to do this. And I'm going to rebut that. I'm going to go against that and consciously choosing rest. You know, you... And it's tough because because mm-hmm. society is so geared towards, especially professionals. And I think of one of my friends who took advantage of the COVID excuse, the COVID clause, where she didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And she says, I think I might have COVID. I think I feel COVID coming on. And so she canceled everything. <laughs> and said, you can only do that so many times until somebody finds that out that you use the excuse of COVID, right? But people do that. <laughs> And, you know, you see, you know, things on, on social media where people use that as their excuse or yes. they're supposed to meet somebody. I, yes. You know, I just saw that guy and I want to go on the date, but I sort of feel like I might have COVID coming out after <laughs> looking at him. So, I mean, that's the different things they do. And it's almost, it takes a lot. It takes, it's either you get sick mm-hmm. or you have to have something almost like somebody told me, I, you know, there's a death in the family. How many family members do you have to kill off to, to take a week <laughs> off? It's like, but people do that. Yes. They do that instead of saying, you know, not available, taking a break, you know. Yes. And the thing that happens with people working online is there's no more demarcation. You know, mm-hmm. They think, okay, we're going to work remote. Mm-hmm. But then there are people who don't rework. They don't mm-hmm. work because they have all this free time. They get distracted. Or mm-hmm. the ones who work all the time. And they can't, uh, there's no demarcation between work and home. It's, it's all, and they're always, there's like no boundaries. So how do you, as a young person and, and expecting a family and mm-hmm. the things you do, your husband's a physician, mm-hmm. how do you find, how do you seek mm-hmm. a healthy life? Mm-hmm. You know? So this is so funny that you brought that up. My husband and I were just talking about how resentful we are towards all the social media and all the phones and all the access. I mean, people can text you at any time and demand your attention. Um, So one small thing that we actually started uh, doing recently is we we decided we're going to have anti-phone time where the phone goes in a bucket that goes on do not disturb that that miracle button that keeps people from Mm -hmm. being able to buzz you goes on do not disturb goes away and we just sit together. And I think that's an art that's been so lost. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. obviously, that's just a, a piece of what we're doing to help combat the stress. I think this is something that's so personal to people. What brings you back to you? What what makes you feel good and calm and centered? I think helping people take some time to actually journal about that. I think that would be wonderful to people if they wanted to do that after this. What helps me feel calm and centered? And when's the last time I did that? And mm-hmm. how often do I do that? Mm-hmm. And how can I take anywhere between a minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever you have a day to do that? Maybe it's sitting on your couch with a cup of tea. Maybe it's sitting there with a novel and saying, you know what? I just got 10 emails. I'm not going to look at them for 20 minutes while mm-hmm. I read my novel. Yeah. No one's going to die. Right. You know, nobody in the office is going to go out of business. No, right. it, you're going to take it. Pause. Because what happens is you condition them. You respond right away. They know you're going to respond. So I can get you any time. But, you know, I, I, and when I dine out, I always look around at couples and you can see couples on dates and invariably somebody's on the phone. Somebody's, and it's almost like insulted. Mm. It's like, excuse me, is that person more important than who's standing before you? Yes. Yes. No. Again, not being in the present moment. We live in a society that conditions us to not be present. I think, you know, as you know, I'm expecting a baby and thinking about congratulations. I know. But thinking about, oh, gosh, like technology and and using iPhones and all these things to keep to keep children silent, but you're conditioning their brains to keep Mm -hmm. them absent from Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. their daily life and the people and things that are happening around them. And Mm -hmm. it just it's a huge um, 
Yes, it's it's a huge problem. Yeah, it, it's very distracting. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, I, it, it's really going off the grip. And that takes a lot of guts to do that, to just literally. Certainly. I mean, the only time I can enjoy it is if I fly overseas. Because I know my phone's not going to work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I can spend how many hours on a, in, a, in, in an airplane typing away and sleeping or reading yes. and knowing nobody's going to interrupt me. Oh, yes. That is a luxury. Isn't that a luxury that some, you know, when, when the iPhone came out, mm-hmm. we thought, this is cool. Or when pagers came out, mm-hmm. the only people who had pagers were doctors and drug dealers, right? <laughs> and then pretty soon everybody had one. And then, then the, so that I think the true luxury is that nobody can reach you. Right. Nobody can reach you. And isn't that That's all I need. Yeah. That that's a luxury. Yeah. That I can be alone in my, in my mind and my thought and just be. But that's also the thing lots of do. I mean, I think the ultimate luxury is to wake up. When I want to wake up and nothing on my to-do list, I'm like a, a blank calendar. Oh, it's the and best. then you fill it how you're drawn to fill it. But there's no to-do. Yeah. And I think what you tried, you would do in your practice is to focus on what, what relaxes us but also inspires us. Yes. Because I think deep in the core who we are is a being that's joyful, loving, and creative. Yes. Because that's when I am my most creative. Yes. When I'm silent and ready to receive. And That's, it emerges. And it emerges. Yes. It's not, you're not distracted by the bright, shiny object or the 150 emails that are waiting. Blink, right. You know, it used to be the Blackberry had the blinking yes. light and people I were addicted that. to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's how much screen time do you have? And that's something to watch definitely with children. Yes. You know, how much screen, because it, it's... Their their endorphin levels go up. I mean, they mm-hmm. get they get addicted, addicted. to that. That I re- I remember seeing what my little granddaughter who there was a video of her, they posted and she she was about two years old and she was imitating her parents on their cell phone, and she was laughing and then she was swiping and she was like two years old in her diapers, pretending she she knew how to swipe on this phone. Wow. And that's so you know they're. They're the good parents, but it's the things that yes. they see their parents doing. They know, they know how to work my iPhone. My mm-hmm. little four-year-old knows how to work my mm-hmm. iPhone. Mm-hmm. But the things that, what's important, what counts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I look at my elderly patients, and on their deathbed, nobody wants to send a text. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. at the, and, you know, they used to say, at your, you know, your end of life, you know, um, you're not going to worry about how much money you have or, uh, or how many friends or how many likes you have. You know, those, those don't matter you know, those don't matter to relationships at, at the end of life. So I see it from an advantage of the other end, of spectrum of people yes. who've lived very full lives. And what is it they seek is meaningfulness and relationships mm-hmm. at the very end. Mm-hmm. And then really to mine who I am mm-hmm. at the end of that life, mm-hmm. if you can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got a few minutes left. Any mm-hmm. any other thoughts that you would like to pass mm-hmm. on to our audience who about really stress, stress and so much mm-hmm. to do. And, uh, you know, I tell people, it's, you know, take a deep breath, take a breath, just pause, because that breath is yours. Mm-hmm. Don't let them take away your breath or your voice. I love that. I love that. I guess, you know, in terms of final thoughts, we've touched on so many things, but I think, number one, going back to what you just said, inspired, getting in touch with what really inspires you, I think earlier rather than later, as early as you can in your life, mm-hmm. what lights you up inside? Mm-hmm. Family, mm-hmm. friends, career, whatever it is, what make what gives you energy mm-hmm. and what drains it? Mm-hmm. And how can you start to structure your life around the things that are life giving to you and minimize the things that drain your energy? And then, like you said, how can you design habits in your daily life that help bring you back to the moment, that help calm that nervous system? Because even if you're living a life of, that feels t- completely fulfilling, everything you do in your day is mm-hmm. full of values mm-hmm. and it just makes you feel so amazing, you're still going to have stress. Mm-hmm. So what are those practices you have daily that are training your mind to be able to handle that stress better and come back to your center? And what are times that you're taking every day just for you and not for anybody else? You know, and and it's so true. Uh, you know, I all of a sudden the vision came up about brushing my teeth. Mm-hmm. You know, I do it for me. I don't. Well, maybe I do it a little bit for other people around me if I eat garlic. But I do that for me. It's a lot of, and it's not selfish. It's healthy, and it's almost like the minutes that I take that I can meditate, I can deep breathe, yes. 
And then it's usually when I get some very creative thoughts in the middle of brushing my teeth. Yes. Or if I'm driving, listening to music, you have to find those special things that, that raise you up, that yes. don't bring you down. You know, the other thing you brought up about surrounding yourself is around people who, who suck the energy from you. Mm-hmm. Stay away from them. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you know, the energy vampires. I was about to say energy vampires. Yeah. Yes. Stay yes. away. If there's somebody who drags you down, just, you know, uh, tell them you got COVID. <laughs> it's just right. like separate yourself. Just don't go around. It, it, the, yes. qu- the, the way that I love the phrasing, it no longer serves me. <laughs> In, or, or people are so into their things. Mm-hmm. And if it no longer serves you, mm-hmm. let it go. Mm-hmm. Let it go. Because in the end, you're not taking your stuff with you. Mm-hmm. You know, just let it go. All you have left is, you know, yes. your, your memory. It's your memory. And then, and then for those of us who believe in soul, it's your soul. Mm-hmm. What do you believe in? And mm-hmm. what's important in this mm-hmm. life? And how can you make it the best life you can mm-hmm. be? Mm-hmm. So anything, one last parting shot for everybody? Any words of advice? I think we left it really well, but I guess going off of what you're just saying, you know, your time is, is all you have. What, yeah. what, what can you not get more of in life? It's, it's, it's the, the most time. valuable thing you have. Yes. And value it. And if, if somebody's not valuing it, or if you're not living it the way you want to reclaim that because it's your time to claim. Yeah. I love it. And you know, really it's living your best life. Exactly. How can you do it? And then we have, you know, psychiatrists like Dr. Dr. Adrian Adler Neal, and hopefully you'll come practice here and I can refer a lot of people to you That's and the plan. we'll get you on media. We'll get you on television. We'll get you on radio and we'll, We'll get you out there helping everybody. So thanks again for being on our Thank show. You. And I wish you great joy in this new life coming in. And Thank you so enjoy much. motherhood. It, it is life-changing and life-altering, but such a blessing. So thanks again. So well, thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for listening to House Calls for the July show. And I wish you all a wonderful month. Don't forget to breathe. Don't forget to love yourself and be kind to everybody out there. So take care and have a wonderful month. Thank you again for joining us this week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. We'll be back next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week.